morning, everyone. Our Bible reading this morning comes from James chapter 3, and we'll be reading the first 12 verses. Uh, You can find James in your Bibles between Hebrews and Peter toward the end of the Bible, or it will be projected on the screen behind me if you'd rather follow on. James chapter 3. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, They are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be so. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for uh, giving us your word and your spirit. And we pray that by your word and spirit that we would be changed now, uh, that we, our minds, our hearts and our tongues would be in conformity to your character and your will. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A young man decided to become a monk and join a monastery. Uh, it was a monastery where... All of the new monks were required to swear a vow of silence. No talking. Uh, Not allowed to speak a single word except at their annual review with the abbot uh, who was in charge of the uh, monastery where they were allowed to speak two words. And so this young man, uh, first year, uh, he, uh, <clears throat> every day, he would read his Bible quietly. He would then spend hours in silent prayer and then he would do his chores and say not a single word all year until the annual review with the abbot, where the abbot said to him, my son, how has your year been? <laughs> Two words. He says, bed. Hard. (laughs) And that's it. 
So second year, same deal. Uh, he works hard every day, does his chores, reads his Bible, uh, silently prays, doesn't say a, a word until the annual review with the abbot. Same question, two words, food cold. <laughs> then it's to the third year. And third year, same deal, didn't say a single word all year until the annual review where his two words were, I quit. Uh, to which the abbot uh, said, well, uh, I'm not surprised to hear you, you say that because, quite frankly, you haven't stopped complaining since you got here. <laughs> the poor monk, that poor young man. What a man. Uh, I mean, uh, how terrible. I can't. Can you blame him for quitting? I can't. Imagine that. Imagine living in a community where you weren't allowed to talk with one another. We're not allowed to speak with one another. It would be, I think it'd be terrible, wouldn't it? It'd be so unnatural because words are important. Words are, are how we communicate. Words are how we connect with one another. It's how we function. Words uh, enable us to function not only as individuals but as, as human beings, as, a, as individuals and as a society. I mean, uh, you know, other creatures, I understand that they have ways of communicating with one another, but speech, speech, it's a gift from God to us. It's one of the things which makes us special in all of God's creation. But as followers of Jesus, how should we use our speech? What difference does, does being a Christian make? Uh, listen to these words from the, uh, uh, the book of Proverbs, which, uh, because the, the, the Bible has a lot to say, doesn't it, about the power of speech, the power of words. Here's one from the book of Proverbs. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. It's so true, isn't it? It's so true. Uh, words encouraging words which have, have so much power, don't they? Power to, to lift the spirits of someone. But our words are also powerful for harm. Uh, words, of course, are the way that we uh, communicate ideas and ideas are the, uh, the way in which we change people's lives. People, people's lives are changed by ideas and they, they shape uh, their lives as they hear ideas that they come to believe in. And so words are very important for teaching and especially the work of teaching God's word. And so in James chapter 3, if you'd like to have that open in your Bibles, uh, listen to what James says in verses 1 and 2. He says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Now, uh, no one uh, of us are perfect, are we? No one is perfect. I mean, if we were perfect, <laughs> we would honour God fully in, in all of our lives. If we were perfect, we would honour God with every part of our bodies. And the words which come from our mouths, well, they come from deep within our bodies, don't they? They express what we think 
and they express what's, what's in our hearts. And when we have a position of teaching the Bible, our words influence others in terms of what they think about God and how they will live their lives. Which means that anyone who teaches God's word has to be very careful in doing so. So that their own thinking and their own hearts are shaped by God's word and not by the pollution of the world. Now, I remember mentioning a few months back when we were looking at uh, 2 Corinthians about the... Uh, do you remember the three strategies which Satan commonly uses to put a wrecking ball through congregations? Um, one of them was divisiveness. Another one was uh, immorality. And then there is false teaching. False teaching. You see, a, a teacher of God's word can be uh, very engaging, uh, even entertaining, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I appreciate that you laughed at my joke a few moments ago. That was good. Um, but if they've not done the hard work of study, of studying the passage carefully, of studying the whole Bible carefully, and if they are not submitting their own minds and their own hearts to God's word, then they can be very dangerous. And the better they are at using words, the more dangerous they become. As by their words, they lead others into a wrong understanding of God and how we ought to be responding to him. Now, of course, uh, we should want uh, for more people, for more of us, to become teachers of God's word. And why do we want that? Well, we want that so that more people can hear God's word. But James says that not many should presume to be teachers. And the point he's making is that teaching God's word is serious business. I mean, a, a regular uh, church member may not be uh, particularly mature and they may have uh, unbiblical views about God and the gospel and, and influence nobody. But when someone holds a position of teaching, whether it's preaching or leading a Bible study group or teaching school scripture or doing one-on-one -on -one discipling, what are they doing? They're influencing others by their words. By their words. And are therefore accountable for what they say. So please pray uh, for all of, in this church who uh, have a role of teaching God's word, uh, that we would work hard at understanding the scriptures and that we would work hard at being faithful to the scriptures. And if we're not being so, then please speak up. Uh, say something. Because we need to know. <laughs> because those of us who teach, says James, will be judged more strictly judge more strictly it's serious business now there's an old saying that says that uh, good things come in small packages you've probably heard that well james has a revision on that saying and he would say that uh, powerful things come in small packages uh, they tell me that the most powerful muscle in the body is called the masseter um, it's the muscle that controls the jaw. But I reckon there's a, uh, an even more powerful part of the body, 
and it's called the tongue. It's very small, isn't it? Very small, but very powerful. And here, James uh, makes the point that there are other things which are in life that are very small, but are very powerful. Uh, take, for example, in verse 3, uh, the bit. Uh, the bit, which is the thing, you know, the thing that you put in the mouth of a horse and you attach to the, you know, the reins and so on. Now, I've got to be honest, I don't know, I'm, I'm terrible at riding horses. I have great trouble uh, keeping controlling horses when I go on those trail rides. The horses tend to just do whatever they want to do, but it's, uh, it's handy because they, happen to know, they know what the route is, which is really good. But uh, most riders know how to use the bit by using the reins to turn the horse. It's a very small item, very powerful, says James, to turn the whole animal. It's the same with a ship's rudder in verse 4. A, a, a very large ship can be blown along by, by strong winds but can be steered, can be turned around by the rudder. It's still true today. An oil tanker may weigh hundreds of thousands of tonnes but still be turned around by its rudder. Small item, powerful to turn a ship. And so too in verse 5, our tongue also is small but by its power it can do a lot of damage. Now a bushfire season seems to have already begun, hasn't it, um, last week. And uh, we know only too well how easy a fire can start in dry, uh, gusty, hot conditions. What does it take? Just one small match or a cigarette butt and the result can be catastrophic and widespread. Verse 5. Likewise, says James, the tongue is a small part of the body but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. <laughs> now, our, our tongue is just a muscle. You know, it's like the lung or the heart or the kidney. It's just a piece of flesh. There's nothing evil about this piece of flesh in itself, about the tongue. But when the words spoken by it express the sinful attitude of our hearts, what does it do, first of all, to the speaker? Have a look at verse 6. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Wow. Now think about it. Gossip, slander, criticisms, lies... Harsh words, they not only damage other people, but, but they damage the person who is using the tongue. They damage the person who is speaking those words. As those attitudes become so ingrained in the person that they, well, for one thing, become difficult to love. Difficult to love. For their words do hurt others. Uh, in uh, verse five, James in verse eight rather, James describes the tongue as a restless evil, full of deadly poison. <laughs> I mean, words can be like poison, can't they? 
When we use our words to cut someone down who needs to be built up or to damage someone's reputation by poisoning the minds of others against them, it's not hard to do, is it? All it takes is an unkind word or a half-truth or a choice morsel of gossip in the ears of others. And it's like dropping a match on a hot, dry, windy day. Which is why, by the way, it's, I, I find for myself it's a good idea to uh, form your impressions of a person more on your own personal experience of them uh, rather than simply on what someone else tells you. Uh, in Proverbs 16, verse 28... Uh, It says, a perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. That's powerful, isn't it? Powerful for wrong. I actually uh, recommend reading through the book of Proverbs um, on a reasonably regular basis. Every couple of years or so, um, set aside a month in your year to just read through each day a section from the book of Proverbs because Proverbs has, uh, it's incredibly wise and it has a lot to, to say about the difference between the, the person who exercises control over their tongue and the person who doesn't. Um, for example, um, here's one. Reckless words pierce like a sword but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So true. Here's another. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Try this one. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Now, what's the theme here? I think the theme is that we need to control our tongues, isn't it? Um, but it's so hard. I mean, it's so hard uh, to, uh, to tame our tongues. That's a very difficult thing to do. Uh, check out verse 7. Uh, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. I mean, we humans, we're pretty good, aren't we? I mean, we're pretty clever at taming other creatures, I think. Um, Like, for example, this line. We can tame a line. We can tame a bird. We can tame sea creatures. And there are some crazy people who can even try to tame snakes. But because our tongues express the sinfulness of our hearts, it cannot be tamed unless we deal with the problem of our hearts. Verse 9. With the tongue, says James, we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in God's image, God's likeness, My brothers, says James, this should not be. 
I mean, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? It's, it's, it's incongruous. It's, it's incompatible. It's, it's contradictory. It's like in verse 11, you know, fresh water and salt water, they don't come from the same spring, do they? Or in verse 12, if you planted a fig tree, then you wouldn't be expecting to harvest olives. Or from a grapevine, you wouldn't expect it to produce figs doesn't make sense but it does happen with our tongues that we might praise God and curse men with the same tongues you know in fact uh, we might even be gathered here today to uh, sing God's praises with our tongues and then later on speak ill of someone who is made in God's image praising God then cursing his image, same tongue, doesn't make sense. So how can our hearts be changed? I want to take you to another passage. Uh, If you've got your Bibles open there, you might want to open up at uh, Ephesians chapter 4 for a moment. Ephesians chapter 4, if it's uh, difficult to find, I'll throw it up on the overhead projector for you as well. And have a listen to what the Apostle Paul says on this subject from Ephesians 4, verse 29. He says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see, the the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, amongst other things, is is to build us up in Christ and to create unity within the church. Which means that when we use our tongue or when we use our keypad, our keyboard or our keypad, how do we use it? How do we use it? Do we use it to tear another person down rather than build them up? And do we use it to create disunity rather than generate love? When we do so, uh, we grieve the Holy Spirit. So what is the key to taming our tongues? (laughs) That though they are small, that they might be very powerful, not for evil, but for good. I think the key is what we see in that last verse there, isn't it? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That's the key, isn't it? It's the gospel. The gospel is always the key. You know, uh, think about it. If God forgave us all of our sin, then that has to change our heart, doesn't it? And it has to change our heart towards others. And when it changes our heart towards others, it changes our mind towards others. And when it changes our mind towards others, it changes our tongues and how we use our words. 
some friends of mine were asked to take care of their neighbour's rabbit for a couple of weeks whilst the neighbour uh, went away on holidays and instructions were, you must cuddle this rabbit for 20 minutes every day <laughs> because if you don't, it'll forget about humans and it'll turn feral. <laughs> Now, that's what I call one high-maintenance rabbit. <laughs> but our tongues can be like that, can't they? How do we tame our, tame our tongues? We tame our tongues by reminding ourselves uh, in our minds and, and reminding ourselves in our hearts each day how much God loves us, that God in Christ has forgiven us all our sins that we may now use our tongues in order to benefit other people for their good so that no unwholesome talk comes from our mouths but only that which is beneficial which doesn't mean we have to be serious all the time does it <laughs> but we should be considerate considering in our conversations, how can I take an interest in this other person's life? What can I say to encourage them in the Lord? An encouraging word which may take only a few seconds to speak, but can be of value for a lifetime. How can I use my words to generate love and unity and kindness we need to think about these things, don't we? As it comes from our hearts. As our hearts are transformed by the gospel. You've got to feel sorry for that poor young monk, don't you? <laughs> I mean, he really only had to, had to tame his tongues. Complete silence. Only two words every... How would you go with that, eh? <laughs> How would you go with that? But to rightly train the tongue is not to stop using it, but rather to use it, to use its great power for the benefit of others. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for uh, your incredible love to us, uh, that though we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us. Father, we thank you for that incredible sacrifice. Thank you for your grace and mercy that in Christ we are now forgiven for all of our sins. We pray for the continued work of your Holy Spirit in our minds and our hearts that we would be transformed and that we would so be appreciative of what you've done for us that we would not seek to find fault in others that we would seek to build one another up in Christ Jesus by the powerful words from our tongues. In his name we pray. Amen.